0: So over the last few weeks, we've been looking at vision, and we called it Vision Month, and we've looked at what it means to have a personal vision, and how that personal vision can help us, as it were, take on the disciplines necessary to fulfill that vision. Without a revelation, the people cast off restraint, indicating that with a revelation, the people take on restraint. In other words, that, that axiomatic verse in Proverbs 29, verse 18 that, that so many have looked at as, as they've thought through and reflected on what it means to have a vision. That, that verse, that Scripture reminds us that the way that we're compelled, the way that we find purpose, the way that we find the, the momentum within to take the next step forward is to receive a revelation from God, to receive a word from His mouth, a word that may well be general in in the way that everybody else sees it, but personal to you. And in that personal word, you find all of the resources necessary to take on the disciplines to see the vision fulfilled. It was almost... I think almost exactly three years ago, that um, I did a weekend uh, with the congregation. Congregation looked quite different then. And um, in that weekend I said, this is just a marker for us to make a journey towards. And that weekend was called Naturally Supernatural. And at the time, it was really quite a struggle for many of us to imagine how it would be that we would see healings and regular opportunities for prayer ministry at the end of the worship time where people came with their needs and found their needs met on a Sunday or even at house churches. And so we did a whole weekend on what it means to live the naturally supernatural life, and we looked at the teaching of Jesus about the kingdom. Three years later, it's now just apparently normal that people are getting healed every week, that people are finding their lives transformed and that there's a prayer team that recruits members of the congregation and brings them up the front and prays with people as they come to seek the Lord. It takes some time for a vision to be fulfilled. Three years, in my experience, seems to be about the length of time needed to begin to see something that is first articulated into your heart by the Holy Spirit becomes something that you can see is bearing fruit. Now, of course, it's not the end of the journey, those, those three years, but certainly it takes quite a while to see it unfold initially. So I think it's really important that as we just dig into this idea of vision over these last few weeks, that we recognize that there will be first the shoot, then the plant, and then the full wheat in the ear ready for harvest. It will be a process. Sometimes we're impatient with the process and part of that is because we've been raised and trained to function in a culture that tells you that your needs are the most important thing in the world and the immediate response to your needs is the only way in which the world could possibly be correct. We've raised our children this way. We've lived in a world where we've breathed that atmosphere. But the truth is, is that deferred gratification is a Christian principle. And we need to understand it as such. That there is gratification that is deferred because we have to wait for the process of fulfillment. We've looked at what it means to take on a personal vision How that personal vision will give us the means, the resources, the the necessary fiber and fabric to see that vision through. We've looked at what it means to look to Jesus as the as the as the model, as the mimetic exemplar as an expression for you. The one that we imitate. Mimesis is the word for imitation in the Bible. He is mimetic, so we look to his life and he becomes the one that we want to imitate. But because he is the one that we want to imitate above all others, he is the exemplar. And so he is the one that we're looking to, the mimetic exemplar, the one that we're we're focusing our attention on. The Scriptures tell us, fix your eyes on Jesus. If you want to know how to see a vision fulfilled, Look to Jesus. Jesus, who for the joy set before Him, was prepared to go through the shame of the cross. For the joy set before Him, was prepared to go through the struggle of Gethsemane. For the joy set before Him, was prepared to take the hard road to see the vision fulfilled. And of course, that vision, that joy, is you is me. Isn't that amazing? That we should be the joy of Jesus. That we here gathered in-house and online should be the very joy of Jesus. He could see in the future people gathered in a strange-looking building in, in Dayton, Ohio. He could see people in their homes and in their workplaces connecting online he he could see a joy of a people whose hearts were longing for god to work more in their lives and in the lives of others and for that joy jesus went to the cross suffered the shame and saw through the power of the resurrection and the sending of the spirit the beginning of what it is that we see manifest before us today. And so we do fix our eyes on Jesus, and we do recognize that sometimes the vision that God gives birth to in our hearts will take a while and will require some level of discipline and struggle. And then we've looked at where it is that Jesus goes. We've, we've sensed, of course, that, that Jesus is this mimetic exemplar. The, he is the one that we are to look to But also, not only his character, but but also the, the way in which he did things. Jesus always moved from the center of the religious life of the people that he was among to the very edge. And then from the edge back to the center. He brought the people from the edge to the center so that the center would be changed and would be benefited and blessed By a different group of people, the the gene pool of the religious life of the people that he was among was changed by him making the journey to the edge and then from the edge to the center. And the scriptures tell us, let us then go outside the city to where Jesus is. Let's go to where he was crucified and was raised from the dead. Let's go to him. And as we go to Him, let's discover the adventure of faith, the wonder of seeing Him do things that we would never imagine were possible, unless it's the presence of the Spirit doing it in us and through us. And so we come to this final Sunday of Vision Month. We've looked at individual ways in which we can apply these things. We've begun to look at corporate ways in which these kinds of visions will begin to become expressed. And this week, we're going to look more at that. We're going to read from Acts chapter 2 and verse 42, a very familiar passage to many of us. And some of you might be saying, I thought we'd finished Acts, but this would go back to it anyway, okay? Acts chapter 2, verse 42... and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who are being saved. I've got just a few pictures for you with a soundtrack behind it. I want you to just identify what it is that's being portrayed for you here. Let's just run that for a moment, shall we? So there are these four essential elements that we see here in Acts 2, verse 42. We see the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and prayer. We see these four elements that are expressed as, if you like, the the four legs of the seat that the church was able to sit on and feel stable and secure in. And these four elements, of course, the apostles' teaching is the, is the Bible. The apostles were using the Old Testament and the, the teaching of Jesus as Jesus interpreted the Old Testament, and that became the New Testament. The fellowship, which is our heart-to-heart connection given to us by the Holy Spirit, reminding us that we are children of, children of the living God. The breaking of bread, which is, of course, in those days shared in, a, in a, a corporate meal, but, but as we'll experience a little bit later, the remembrance of Jesus dying for us and giving His body and His blood, and then prayer, the deepest, most intimate, richest communion that any creature can have with the Creator. We speak to Him and He speaks to us. These four elements are the foundational elements of the spiritual life how do I know that well they're right there at the very beginning when God gives his spirit to the disciples fulfilling the promise of Jesus the disciples become the people of God for the new world that God is creating the kingdom that he is unfolding will be populated by people who live in a particular way. They live in a particular way. They function in a particular way. And that particular way is is resourced, is enhanced, is brought to life by living out these four elements. These four elements are, if you like, the release of the spiritual DNA that is needed for every church. What happened at the very beginning is something that is expected to continue all the way through. Now, many of you will have heard sermons about that before and some of you will have taught lessons uh, to that effect to other people. I first heard that when I was 16 as I first became a Christian and began to be discipled in the church in Manchester, England where I was first brought to faith. But there's something more in this passage that is really interesting to me. And it's something that articulates the very heart of the Creator. The heart of the Creator that you can see reflected in everything that you encounter every day. There is a rhythmic pattern to the way that God does things. There is daytime and nighttime. There are seasons that are, that are built around the different ways in which the world adjusts itself, our planet adjusts itself in relation to the sun. And those rhythmic patterns are so often enhanced by the moon orbiting the earth, changing the seas so that we have tides, even changing the land so that we have small movements underneath our feet, these patterns, these rhythms that you see articulated in every every atom and in every solar system, in every galaxy and beyond, these patterns, these, these rhythms seem to be the expression of the way that God does things. And when we look at ourselves as individuals, of course, we recognize that our heart is beating, hopefully. We recognize that our breath is being drawn in and let out. And perhaps as we go out into the world, we pick up the other patterns that we see around us as the wind blows through the leaves of the trees, as the waves lap on the beach. This is the way that the Creator has made the world. And it's people who have learned to live in the rhythms of life, who understand how to capture the spiritual rhythms of life, who in my observation, do better than everyone else. The people who do who do well, the people who prosper in this life, the people who are fruitful in this life, are the people who are not working against the rhythms, but are moving with the breath of heaven and learning that their life needs to be a life that is a life that's work from a place of rest. That our life is a life where we're learning that fruitfulness comes from abiding, that these patterns are built into the very fabric of the physical and spiritual universe, and when you look at this first articulation of the church as the DNA of the church is released to the body of Christ, there's a very fascinating pattern. I've talked about it before, but I'm just going to lift it up again. Verse 46, every day, it's as though the Holy Spirit wanted to underline this for all future generations, and so he did it in such a way that we really can't mistake it. It was every day at the beginning. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. Enjoying, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. I wonder whether you think that it's just an issue of choice as to whether you gather on a Sunday with other believers. Now, I'm not saying it's not an issue of choice. It is an issue of choice. And you're never going to hear coercion from me. I'm not into that. The only way that the only way that we can really function effectively, of course, is to is to have freedom. Because that was the way that God made us. And so free choice is is really one of the most important articulations of what it means to be a human in the hands of God. So there's not going to be any coercion here, but I'm I'm asking you the question. Do you think it's just a matter just a matter of individual choice? That you gather on a Sunday. Do you think it's just a matter. Of individual choice. That people like me. Regularly remind you. That during the week. You'll probably need a community of other believers. Who you can, you can meet with. And share fellowship with. Do you think it's just a matter of choice. Do you think it's, it's like a garnish. On your spiritual life. see. I don't think it's anything to do with a garnish. It is, it is personal choice. But you see, the way that God did it at the beginning is an indication of the way that he wants it to go on from the beginning to the end. Past history is always the best indicator of future behavior. Here's the thing. The rhythm of the universe is supposed to be expressed in our lives as community. The rhythm of the universe, the rhythm of your heartbeat, the rhythm of the changing tides, the rhythm of the seasons expressed in this glorious creation all around you is a way of God articulating to you the way in which you will find greatest fulfillment in your walk with Him. And your greatest fulfillment in your walk with Him will be that you gather at the temple and in your homes. Your greatest fulfillment will be that you learn what it means to to step into the pattern the beauty and the rhythm of what it is that God first released to the church. And let's be quite clear about it. If God is going to pour out His Holy Spirit on the first disciples, it must be definitive for all future disciples. Otherwise, why are we reading the Bible at all? Of course it's definitive. That's the whole point. It defines what it is that we do. Now, it's a different context. It's a different culture. There are different ways in which it's expressed. But the fundamental patterns, the fundamental principles are the same. So, the principle of the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, the breaking of bread and prayers, they're basic principles. You'll never find a church anywhere in the world that's not wrestling to ensure that those four things are done. Of course. But, are we also understanding... That along with the principles, there's a pattern. There's a pattern to the way that you live out these principles. Of course, in the years that we've been raised, individualism has become de rigueur. It's become the thing that everybody assumes is the right thing. And, of course, individual choice is enormously important. But individualism means that you end up as an island often alone, often isolated, often afraid. Human beings were never designed to be alone. And the ways in which God has created the patterns, the rhythms of life suggest that bigger gatherings and smaller gatherings are necessary. How did it work for the early church? Well, it seemed to work in a way that we can see a pattern emerging. In the temple gatherings, of course this is a public worship experience, there is the opportunity for teaching from the word. So the apostles' teaching takes place in the temple courts in what was called Solomon's Colonnade, where there was plenty of shade and people could gather. And in that time, along with the the teaching that was articulated in word, there was also teaching that was articulated in deed, as people were prayed for, and the miraculous was seen everywhere. In the homes, it would appear that fellowship took place. Koinonia is the Greek word, and it means the meeting of people as equals. And so in their homes, there was an opportunity of people meeting as equals. And one of the things that I've been working with, with the house church leaders, whose work is so important to Apex and needs to be celebrated more among us. What I've been working with, with the the house church leaders, the household leaders, is how to get free from the burden of feeling as though you're carrying the responsibility of teaching the group. Teaching perhaps is best taking place in temple environments. As we come together as homes, perhaps the best way that we can express that is to learn how we can find a balance of power so that there's an equality as we come to the scriptures and each person is able to hear God for themselves and share it with everyone else. That's been part of what it is that we've been learning together. It's enormously important. It's called koinonia. It's called fellowship. And every every description of worship in the homes, which there are only descriptions of worship in homes in the New Testament, every description of worship in the homes are always built around the idea of everyone being equal, no one being more important than another, and everyone coming with a sense of duty and excitement to share as an equal with others. So, the apostles' teaching is taking place in the temple. The the koinonia, the fellowship, is taking place in the homes. And then here's a thing, something for us to consider. It would appear as though the breaking of bread is not a public ceremonial opportunity that takes place in the temple experience, something that takes place in the home. One of the problems of the church down through the centuries, and of course I've been trained as a Levite for years and years and years, and so it kind of ruins my job a little bit, is that so much of the ceremonial life of the church has been expressed in the public setting. And so communion, the Lord's Supper, the breaking of bread, takes place in the public environment and hardly ever in the home. It would appear as though in the early church the breaking of bread, the Lord's Supper, Holy Communion took place around a meal because it was around a meal that was most expressive of the fellowship that Jesus shared with his first disciples. And as he comes and shares his presence with his current disciples, they encounter him in the same way. And so, you begin to feel this rhythm now. There's the public teaching. There's the household fellowship. There's household breaking of bread. And then, ah, wait, prayer. Now, here's the interesting thing. When you read the Greek text, it always says, the prayers. And you think, the prayers? What? I don't even know what that is. What does that mean? Well, what it means is this. In the time of the early church and in the time of Jesus, at the temple, there were particular times of prayer during the day. And so the disciples in those days expressed their life together by coming together for teaching and for prayer what we've been doing over these last few years is just little by little following the breadcrumbs along the path and seeking if jesus would give us fruit as we follow him and so three years ago right after that naturally supernatural weekend teaching i began morning prayers here at church. People began to gather with me. Some days it was me. Some days it was me and one other person. Some days it was me and a lot of other people. And we kept going all the way through COVID and now mostly online, but some people come in-house. We've continued and we've never stopped. We have a pause often in January and in the summer which makes us remember that we need to abide in all things. We need to rest from all things so that we don't just end up having this kind of religious cranking the handle thing. But by and large, for the last three years, we have met together for prayer every day. And when we all get to heaven, and we say, Lord, why did revival break out? In apex in 2022 2023 why why did that happen and the Lord will say those hidden people who prayed every day why are we beginning to have Tuesday nights where we can have an extended time of prayer where the Lord is so clearly evident So clearly present. None of this is intended to make people feel guilty if they can't make it. It's intended to create space when they can. Does that make sense? There's no register being called at morning prayer. There's no register going to be called on Tuesday nights from 6.30 to 8 o'clock. There's no register being called. It's the opportunity for prayer and it's something that's taking place in a public environment that allows us to see what it is that God's doing. The early church had the DNA of heaven released to them and in that DNA they of course began to live out certain principles but they began to live into certain patterns. Here's the thing that I long for you as I seek to continue to hold on for myself. And that is this. That we learn that there is a pattern to the life of God. That there is a breathing in and a breathing out. And as we we learn that pattern, what we discover is that the, the torch of the gospel shining in our households, can be brought back to the bonfire where everyone else's torches have have gathered. And the the flame burns brightly. And perhaps the guttering torch that was beginning to be extinguished in our home can be brought back and re-enlivened and brought back to life again. And as we do this, we discover that God will give us a greater and greater place in which we can function as the people of God. Coming to gather online in-house with our small torch. And that small torch gathered with the others gives a mighty bonfire that's an indication to the world of what it is that Jesus wants to do. And as we then go out, we take the torch re enlivened, ignited afresh, and plant it in that crevice, in that fissure of the community that we've been called to be part of. And as we do this, God will illuminate still further where we can go. And we'll follow him from the center to the edge, and from the edge to the center. And as we do this, what'll happen? Is that our lives will come into order. When God created the world, He looked at the world, He ordered the world, and He looked at it, and it was good to Him. And it was good to Him because the order was in place. When you can breathe deeply, there is an order to your body and your being. When your heartbeat is regular and untrammeled, there is an order to your life. There's an order to the way that you express yourself. There's an order that God has for us. And so it's not a rule, it's not even a condition. It's just an opportunity. That Apex wants to offer. We as a people. Want to offer everyone. The opportunity. To be gathered. For teaching and prayer. And to be scattered. For fellowship. And the breaking of bread. And the celebration. Of who Jesus is. In our communities. In our places. Does that make sense to anyone? Now. Of course, for me, I look at this and I long for that bonfire to be bigger and I long for the torches to be more numerous. But that's not in my hands. That's only in God's hands. One plants, another waters. Only God gives the increase. But if we can plant and water according to the pattern of God, then at least we give him the opportunity of operating in something that is familiar to his creative pattern and he can give the increase as he sees fit I think there's wonderful things happening here at Apex I love the fact that people are moving deeper into prayer I love the fact that our worship life seems to be just more glorious every week I love the fact that leaders are looking at their their households and their house churches and asking questions like, how can we help people not just be consumers in our house churches? How can we we do this thing about being equal as we come?" I love that. I love the fact that the children are walking more freely with Jesus. I love the fact that teenagers are gathering and wanting to know Jesus more. I love the fact that college students are gathering and saying, I want to be part of a local church as well as part of the campus ministry. I love that. And I love the fact that Jesus, by His goodness, is doing the thing that He did in the first church. Because the two signs were these the miraculous and generosity. All the people shared what they could with others, and God did amazing things among them. And God added to their number daily those who were being saved. As a kid, I remember watching my grandmother who was, have you heard the expression battle axe? (laughs) Yeah, that's that's quite a soft word for her, to be honest. (laughs) So my grandmother, she would be there, and it's called a Yorkshire Range. It's an old black cast iron fireplace fueled by coal. It has an oven. And in the oven, she would make us bread. And she would make the bread rise and then she'd cut it all up and then make it into loaves. And there would always be just that last little bit. And she'd take that last little bit. She'd make three little threads out of it, turn it into a plait. Put that in the oven and it came out first. And she'd put butter on the plait. (sighs) And I didn't know Jesus, but I did know heaven at that moment. (laughs) Well, we'd come down and we'd be waiting, mouths watering for the bread that she'd be making. And the interesting thing was this. She had a particular way of setting the fire. Fire had gone out overnight. So she would she'd riddle it, as she would say. She'd get rid of all of the, all of the ash. And then she'd set the fire with, with sticks and paper underneath the sticks and then small pieces of coal. And once it had begun, she'd take a piece of newspaper and she'd put the newspaper over the face of the fireplace. And behind the newspaper, you'd see the flames growing. And it was a fascination to me as a kid. And I'd say, Grandmama, I didn't say that. I'd say, Granny, Granny, what are you doing? She said, she's a Yorkshire woman. I'm drawing fire, lad. What's that, Granny? I'm drawing fire, lad. She was drawing the fire. And the way you draw the fire is that you cause the fire not to have the oxygen that it thinks it has, but it has to draw it in underneath the paper. And it comes in in a particular way and ignites the fuel more effectively. See, that's what was happening in the early church. God was drawing people by the flame of His Spirit. He was drawing people through the fuel of the Gospel. He was drawing people as that that flame lit the hearts of the believers and they lived generous lives. As that flame came and touched individuals and brought the miraculous hand of God. God was drawing people. There's a lot of talk in a lot of circles about attractional ministry, and we don't really want to get into attractional ministry because we don't want it to be a performance. Of course. Of course. But do I want Jesus to draw people to Him? Dead right I do. And if by the flame of God's presence, And through the fuel of the gospel, we can see people drawn to your house, church. We can see people drawn to this gathering online or in-house. Then praise God, that's what we want. So let's ask Him to do that. And let's ask Him that we learn what it means to live in the rhythm of life. Amen?